When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All the state of Ohio has to show is that George was involved in the case at the beginning, and I think the evidence, in my opinion, showed that he was. You know, one thing that Canepa did strongly was to show a slideshow of each of the victims in the prime of their life and then show them dead in bed. But make no mistake about it, those two children in that picture were never going to be raised anything other than Wagner. That moment, you know, when you walk before that jury and you talk to them and you try to remind them what is at stake, that these people have died. We're talking about eight people that were slaughtered. This is The Piketon Massacre, Return to Pike County, Season 4, Episode 24, The Verdict is In. I'm Courtney Armstrong, a television producer at KT Studios with Stephanie Lidecker and Jeff Shane. We're at the closing arguments of George Wagner IV's trial. It's important to note that George Wagner has pleaded not guilty and has maintained he did not kill anyone. His father, Billy Wagner, whose trial is upcoming has also pleaded not guilty to all charges. We're in Piketon for the final days of trial. We've heard testimony from Jake, Angela, and George Wagner. But before we can hear closing arguments, Judge Deering has some news for the jury. The jury learned the death penalty against George Wagner IV has been taken off the table. That is the plea deal the prosecution struck with George's brother, Jake, and his mother, Angela, in exchange for their testimony. After the announcement, the judge addresses the court. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. We have uh, reached the point at which counsel for each side will be giving uh, closing arguments. Prosecutor Angie Canepa begins her closing arguments. Just want to, first of all, start by thanking each and every one of you. Um, you guys have probably served, at least as far as I know, the longest of any criminal jury, and each of you have paid strict attention. We are here because eight innocent victims were slaughtered most of them in their sleep, all of them unarmed. These murders should never have happened. 
Forensic expert Joseph Scott Morgan speaks to the significance of these closing arguments. I think they do matter. I think that it's like going to a beautiful concert where there's going to be this grand crescendo, that thing that moves people. You better bring it. And, and it needs to be that thing that is going to resonate with those people. And it's taken all this time, thousands of miles. Can you imagine that have been traveled, you know, all over the place, all the way up to Alaska and back <laughs> through Canada. All of that culminates in this moment. That moment, you know, when you walk before that jury and you talk to them and you try to remind them what is at stake, that these people have died. We're talking about eight people that were slaughtered. Prosecutor Canepa shows photos of the victims on the large screen in the courtroom. She starts with Frankie Rodin and reminds the jury about who he was. She then speaks about Hannah Hazel Gilly. Hannah Hazel Gilly, very proud of her son, her six-month-old son. She was all of 20 years old as well at the very beginning of her life, and especially her life as a mother. Her crime, you heard testimony that her crime was solely being there, nothing else. If she had not been there, she would still be alive today. The defense objects. Prosecutor stopped showing images on the large screen, but she continues speaking about the victims. Chris Sr., there's a lot to say about him. He was obviously a family man, provided for his family. But the reason that he was killed is because he was the patriarch of this family. And they knew that he would, again, figure out who did it and potentially seek vengeance. Here's James Pilcher, longtime investigative reporter in Cincinnati, now with Local 12. You know, one thing that Canepa did strongly, and what she tried to do at the beginning, was to show a slideshow of each of the victims, you know, in the prime of their life, show pictures, and then show them dead in bed. Well, that led to objections, and then she basically threw that out the window. So she abandoned the slideshow, but she still went on to go through, here's this victim, here's this victim, all eight of them, bringing it back to them and bringing it back to the fact that they were asleep. Prosecutor Canepa touches on all of the evidence presented in trial, laying out the timeline from the beginning and hitting on each piece of evidence tying George Wagner and his immediate family to the murder of the Roden, Manley, and Gilly families. Special Prosecutor Angie Canepa said there was plenty of direct and circumstantial evidence that tied George Wagner IV to the homicides. One example, the false statements the Wagners gave to investigators that everything was fine between Jake and Hannah Roden when she was killed, but custody over their daughter's was at a boiling point. Then we see the Facebook message from Hannah Mae saying that she won't sign papers ever, they'll have to kill her first. And we know that in four short months later, she and seven members of her family are dead. But we know that in January of 2016, they had made the decision that they were going to kill them. And you start seeing the purchases corresponding to that timeline. It's hard to imagine that eight people would lose their lives over such a flimsy, Motive, but it's true. Prosecutor Canepa reminds the jury of the evidence presented throughout the case. The shoe prints matching George Wagner's at the crime scene, as well as the bullet casings matching the weapons used in the murder. We know that George went into that room, and we know that he stepped into blood, and we see it on our diagrams um, exactly where that was. 
Prosecutor Canepa reminds the jurors of George Wagner's testimony, where he claimed he hadn't known that his brother Jake and father Billy were going to murder members of the Roden, Manley, and Gilly families. Did you know your family was going to kill these people? No, I would have never let it happen. The prosecution then ties George to the crimes through Jake Wagner and Angela Wagner's testimony. George says to Jake, the family has spoken. There is nothing that happens in that household that is not a group decision. Jake and Angela have told you everything that this defendant did that night. I'm not here to say that Jake Wagner is a hero by any stretch of the imagination. He is a despicable, vile human being. But the difference between him and his brother is that he at least came forward. Kanepa acknowledges that when George took the stand, he disputed what his brother and mother testified about him. You heard Jake and your mother both say that that was the motive. And my mom and brother are lying to you. They have been like everybody else. Angela Wagner, this is her son. Ask yourself, what motive would she have to say that George was involved? If George wasn't involved, why would you do that to your son? You would say, Jake Billy and I did it. Despite all the evidence presented by prosecutors, it could come down to who the jury believes, Jake and Angela or defendant George. Prosecutor Canepa addresses Jake and Angela Wagner's testimony head on. So let's talk about Jake and Angela's testimony. Jake Wagner gave us a lot of information. His testimony was corroborated by physical evidence. He led us to the murder weapons. So again, what Jake had to tell us was corroborated with physical evidence that we didn't know about. It was also corroborated with physical evidence we did know about. Then we talked to Angela Wagner, and she corroborates what Jake Wagner told us. They basically corroborate each other. And the magical and mystical thing about that is, as you heard, she was not provided with her son's statement. She had no idea what he said to us when he sat down with us. Again, James Pilcher. One of the points he made very clearly was Jake and Angela had no chance to corroborate. None. They couldn't see each other's statements. They're in separate jails. They couldn't talk. They couldn't watch each other's testimony. Nothing. How come their stories line up so well versus what George had to say? And they're both saying the same thing or close enough to the same thing, whereas George is saying something completely different. Who are you going to believe? And then on top of that, she makes the point, it's one thing for a brother to testify against a brother, but it's another thing for a mother to testify against her son, even as she says she loves him. That came across as very compelling. Prosecutor Kernepa argues that Jake and Angela Wagner's testimony matches, especially on one key point. Both Jake and Angela tell you they are guilty. Jake is guilty. Angela is guilty. They don't deny that. They don't lie about that. The reason their stories match is because they both finally decided to tell the truth. Here's attorney and legal analyst Mike Allen. I think the credibility goes with Angela because 
George, any number of times, just said, I don't recall, I don't remember. I didn't count them up, but there were a lot of times that he said that. And I don't recall hearing that in Angela or Jake's testimony, for that matter. It was just pretty straightforward. So I think if you didn't have the physical evidence, and it, it's George against those two, I think they win, and George doesn't because a lot of things he didn't remember, and he contradicted himself on a number of occasions. While George Wagner appeared calm during his testimony on the stand, Prosecutor Canepa reminds the jury of the wiretap recording of George. I would strongly invite you to listen to that recording again and ask yourselves if that is the voice or the demeanor or the attitude or the approach of somebody who would ever sit one out. Again, James Pilcher. I will say, Kanepa did kind of bring it home early on when she said, you saw George up on the stand, but then you also heard George on these recordings. Will the real George Wagner please stand up? Those are my words, not hers. But basically, she's saying the real George Wagner is not the one that was up on the stand. He was coached. He was whatever he was. The real George Wagner is the one you hear in those recordings who's, a, for all intents and purposes, a madman. He indicated to you that a few days before the homicides, that Billy told George that he wanted George to shoot Chris in the head. He went up there to Union Hill Road on April 21st of 2016, knowing full well what was going to happen. While George may not have pulled the trigger during the murders, the prosecution contends that doesn't matter to prove conspiracy to murder. He doesn't have to be the person that actually pulled the trigger, right? You heard that Jake Wagner pled to eight counts of aggravated murder because he pulled the trigger as to five, according to him, but he was complicit in the remaining three. You heard Angela Wagner say that she also was guilty of eight counts of aggravated murder because she was complicit in it, because she knew what they were going to do. She aided and embedded them. You were complicit because you knew what was going to happen. You knew what they were going to go do and you aided and abetted them. Here's Jeff speaking with Mike Allen. Something she really hammered home, which I think is important to remind the listeners, is that George could still be found guilty of murder even if he didn't pull the trigger under Ohio law. Like, as long as he's involved in the planning and the cover-up, that's enough to find him guilty. All the state of Ohio has to show is that George was involved in the case at the beginning. And I think the evidence, in my opinion, showed that he was in the beginning. And then uh, he was uh, part of the execution of the crime. And I think that's clear that he was a part of it and uh, a part of the cover up. And that gets you into the complicity part of it. And that's all you need for a murder conviction. I mean, you don't have to show, and they they couldn't show, and they didn't show that George pulled the trigger because he didn't. But he was in it up to his neck, and I think that was clear at the end of all the testimony and evidence. And Ms. Knappett really kind of just hit on all of those points in her closing. The prosecution also spoke to the plea deal given to Jake in exchange for his testimony. Mr. Parker has called this the deal of the century for Jake Wagner the deal of the century. But let's just talk a little bit about that. First of all, he pled guilty to every count in the indictment except for the death penalty specifications, which we dismissed in exchange for him telling us what happened 
not just telling us what happened, but you heard from Special Agent Scheider that the victim's family was consulted in this. And as you might imagine, if this was somebody that you loved, you would want to know what happened. More than anything. Some of them got the peace of mind they were looking for because their loved one was sleeping. Some of them did not. But they wanted to know. And they wanted us to do the deal. Again, Mike Allen. Obviously, from their conduct in the courtroom, there's a close relationship between the prosecutor and uh, and the Roden family. I don't think they have any problem at all with the deals that were made in this case. But in any homicide case, you have to get buy-in from the, the victim's family. And I think that's what she did here. I see a lot of cooperation and a lot of admiration, too. So. I don't have any doubt that Angie Canepa consulted probably at length with the Roden family before they cut the deal with Jake and Angela. After nearly five hours, Prosecutor Canepa finishes her closing argument. I know this was very, very long. I just wanted to kind of try my best to kind of lay a foundation of the evidence that we believe supports a conviction of George Wagner IV of each and every count in this indictment. Whether he is a principal offender or whether he is complicit in it, he knew what was going to happen. He participated in what happened. Jake and Angela have told you everything that this defendant did that night and his participation in the aggravated murders and all the other crimes listed in the indictment. We respectfully request that you return verdicts of guilty as to each count and to each specification. Thank you. The day of the trial ends with Prosecutor Canepa's closing argument. Here's Mike Allen, followed by investigative reporter Anjanette Levy of the Law and Crime Network. The defense has to make the points that they want to make, and they also have to counter what the prosecutor says in closing argument. I think that Jake and Angela's testimony coupled with the wiretaps do not bode well for George. He still sounds like he's in the thick of this and he knows exactly what's going on. You would think that that would just be very difficult for the defense to overcome, for for them to come into court and feel confident that they were going to somehow poke enough holes in Jake and Angela's testimony to make George not guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in a moment. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. 
Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, My name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The next day, the defense delivers their closing remarks. John Parker opens with a joke about how he's not going to go as long as the state did in his closing remarks. Parker then goes after the state's key witnesses, Jake and Angela Wagner. Angela and Jake, he's a mama's boy. You heard testimony about that. They're liars. They're con artists. They're thieves. Defense attorney Parker brings up Jake's character. But he was up here and smiling and smirking as he's talking about these murders. He's cold-blooded. I think he's psychotic. He didn't seem to have care in the world. It's like, it's like sitting around talking about a football game on Monday morning is the way he's talking about killing these people. It's disgusting. He's a sick man. You can't believe what that guy says. The defense hits again on an argument that they've used repeatedly throughout the trial that the evidence tying George Wagner to the murders is at best circumstantial. There's not proof here beyond a reasonable doubt that George was even up there. And we could offer him nothing for his testimony. He was vigorously cross-examined. You saw his demeanor. Compare that to Jake's and his mother's. There's no testimony George is the shooter. There's no reliable testimony that he was even there. 
This has to be proof beyond a reasonable doubt. There's all kinds of reasons to doubt. Parker then tries to dismantle the state's argument that the Wagners are a walking criminal conspiracy. The state in this case that you have seen with respect to George paints with a very, very broad brush. All right. How many times have we heard they, them, you guys, the Wagners? All right. George is the one that's about trial here. All right. We are not here to defend Billy. We are not here to defend Angela. We're certainly not here to defend Jake. All right. And basically, I mean, there were days and days that went by when you didn't hear George's name. And that's significant. Parker asked the jury to return a verdict of not guilty on all charges. You folks stand between the power of the government and a man like George Wagner. So you've seen the power of the government. And in this particular case, they've overreached when it comes to George. Mike Allen offers his thoughts to how the defense did on closing arguments. Well, I think he did as well as he could. And his closing argument did not take five hours, but he did as well as he could with what he had, which wasn't a heck of a lot. He just didn't. You know, he called the state's witnesses, liars, con artists, mainly Jake and Angela, really hit uh, Jake hard. And really, I mean, that's pretty much all he had. When you're a defense counsel, you get the case that you get, and you're not going to be able to change things factually. So the short answer is, I think they did as well as they could. After the defense rests, Andrew Wilson delivers the prosecution's rebuttal. The concept of complicity works in Ohio, is that if two or more people set out to achieve a a criminal purpose, a, a criminal goal, with one doing one part and others doing the other part, then each one of them is individually guilty as if they were the principal offender. That's the law. That's how it works. There's been no direct testimony that he actually pulled the trigger in any one of those murders. But you better believe he's up to his eyeball. As they plot, as they prepare, as they execute, as they cover up those murders, he's in it up to his eyeballs. The prosecution has a huge advantage. And boy, I tell you, I think they utilized it in this case to where they get the final word. They get to address the jury after the defense does their closing argument. It's done because the, the state has the burden of proof. That's why they get the last bite at the apple. You know, having been a defense counsel and having been a prosecutor, (laughs) I can tell you that's a huge advantage for the state. Prosecutor Wilson addresses Jake and Angela Wagner's testimony. They matched. The only way that happens without her knowing what he said is if they're telling the truth about what they observed, what they knew. Wilson goes on to address Jake and his testimony. He's not our star witness. He's a terrible, terrible human being. He's evil. And he's going to spend the rest of his miserable existence locked in a cage. He's going to spend the rest of his life separated from what means most to him, his family. 
he will never be free again. And as incredibly distasteful as it was, the state entered into an agreement with Jake for one reason. We needed one thing from him. Guns. That's, that's what we needed from him. Him leading us to those guns was incredibly important. Wilson also reveals, while the prosecution didn't play the tape of George Wagner's interview at the Canadian border. Again, James Pilcher. And that was because they didn't want that tape to serve as his own testimony and his own denial. If he was going to deny it, he was going to have to deny it from the stand. And they didn't want to give him the opportunity to, to, to tailor his testimony to what he said at that point. Which was key, too, because he did have a major inconsistency between what he said at the border versus what he said on the stand. At the border, he said he went to bed about sometime after midnight, after watching the fairy movie and whatever. But then on the stand, he said he went to bed before 10 with the kids. And yeah, he should have heard them leave, but he didn't. He usually stays up an hour after he goes to bed. And somehow he didn't hear Jake and Billy leave. Didn't even know they had gone. So that, that was a major inconsistency, and Wilson brought that home in his closing. Andrew Wilson then shows a photo of the Wagner family with all the kids. Why don't you look at this picture? Man, this picture speaks volumes. It speaks volumes. They don't want you to believe that this case is about custody, that these murders had anything to do about custody. But make no mistake about it. Those two children in that picture were never going to be raised anything other than Wagner. They wanted control of those kids, and that's what this was all about. It started with George's son with Tabitha and getting control over that little boy. And it was the same thing about Jake's daughter with Hannah. But Hannah had a support system. Hannah had a family, and they were going to fight back. Wilson closes out the prosecution's rebuttal with one final thought. He is guilty. He's guilty. And when you make that finding, when you look at all that evidence, he's guilty. At that point, by law, you're required to find him guilty. And that's what you'll do, because that's what he is. Andy Wilson's uh, rebuttal closing, I mean, everybody who watched it was like, I think that just sealed the deal. He answered every outstanding question the defense had raised to a T. He was uh, enthusiastic. He was forceful. Forensic expert Joseph Scott Morgan agrees. When that bailiff causes that jury to rise you better leave an impression on them when they go back there uh and you know that that big crescendo is what you want it's one of the oldest cliches that prosecutors use and they'll say things like do not let their deaths be in vain hold these people accountable for what they have done snuffing out these lives in the most horrific way possible these people who have scarred our county forever and ever and ever for generations to come, hold them accountable. And they might even throw in God. They'll say, you know, someday they'll be judged by God, but right now is your time to judge them upon what they've done. 
before the day ends, Judge Deering gives instructions to the jury. The next morning at 8.30 a.m., the jury begins deliberations. After a two-and-a-half-year investigation, after a three-and-a-half-month trial, the longest criminal trial in the history of Ohio, the most expensive trial in the history of Ohio, it is now in the hands of nine women and three men, the 12 jurors. Generally speaking, if they're out for a short period of time, if they're not out long, that's good for the state, the prosecution. If the longer they go, it's better for the defense because you, you know they're thinking about it. Then the other thing, too, the longer they go, the better chance that they will have a hung jury, which is a victory for the defense attorney. With the fate of George Wagner in the jury's hands, all the defense and prosecution can do is wait. What are those hours like? It must be so tense. Let me tell you something. They are the slowest hours in a trial lawyer's life from when a jury begins to deliberate until when they come up with a verdict. You stay around your office and then just kind of like dwell on it. And it's just hard to concentrate on, on anything else. It's kind of brutal. But on the other hand, it's exciting too because, you know, then you get back in the courtroom and the jury walks in and you know, you're looking at whether they look you in the eye and, uh, you know, then they'll give their verdict. So it's tough, but it's also exciting, I guess, is the best way to put it. Two and a half hours into deliberation, the jury asked to see Judge Deering. There were some rumblings when that note came out with the question. There was a couple of people who thought it might have been a verdict and were like, no, that wasn't the case. So some false information got put out there initially. And at about 11... They sent down a question and apparently went on the record and they'd asked the transcript of Jake's testimony, or at least just a part of it. And Judge Deering said, no, you have to get all of it. And I'm going to want you to read all of it because it's not fair to exact certain excerpts, especially if you're just going to look at one part from the direct examination and not look at what the cross-examination was. That wouldn't be fair. It takes it out of context. And he said, "To to be honest, it's not fair. And if you're going to do this, really, I should make you read the transcripts of all of the witnesses. But even if it's just Jake, it's 750, 760 pages. The jury goes back to deliberating. Then about four o'clock on Wednesday, we were notified that they had a verdict. And we're like, wow, that was very, very quick. So that's like seven hours, you know, less than seven hours of deliberation if you count their breaks. And I took them at least 30 minutes to an hour to sign all the forms because there was 22 forms that all 12 had to sign for all 22 charges. The bailiff came upstairs and he went back into the judge's chambers and then he came out and he looked over at a couple of us sitting in the gallery and said, be ready in 25 minutes. I said, what? A verdict in 25 minutes? And he said, there's a verdict in 25 minutes. And I just tweeted it out immediately. The jury enters the courtroom. A lot of people will say, oh, if the jurors come in and they don't look at the defendant, that means it's a guilty verdict. (laughs) And if they come in and they look at the defendant, it's a not guilty verdict. The clerk hands the verdict forms to Judge Deering. He reads the jury's verdict. Verdict as to count one, it says, we, the jury, find beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendant, George Washington Wagner IV, is guilty of aggravated murder as charged in count one of the indictment. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, is that your verdict? Yes. Again, Antoinette Levy. 
when the first guilty verdict was read, you heard kind of a noise, a gasp, a, almost like a, a, a cry of sorts. And that came from the Roden family. And I feel like that was just some type of big, you know, a, a sense of relief on their part. There were a lot of tears. I think these were tears of relief. It's like an emotional release. You know, you're sitting there waiting and waiting. You've been sitting there for all of these weeks, looking at horrible things, hearing horrible things, seeing horrible things. And I think they knew collectively when that first guilty verdict was read, they were all going to be guilty. Judge Deering continues reading the verdict. George Wagner is found guilty on all eight murder charges. He is also found guilty of aggravated burglary, conspiracy, gun charges, and tampering with evidence for a total of 22 charges. George Wagner's reaction to the verdict was similar to his demeanor throughout the trial. George Wagner showed no emotion. No. His lawyer, John Parker, kind of shook his head or kind of nodded and, you know, seemed a little upset. But no, George showed absolutely no emotion. He just kept his eyes down. I think George Wagner, when they brought him in and just looking at his face, he knew. He knew that he was going to be convicted. And I felt like I just saw his eyes kind of blink just, you know, briefly and kind of quickly once the first guilty verdict was read. Judge Deering sets George Wagner's sentencing for December 19th. After the verdict, the Roden family gives a press conference. Speaking on their behalf is Tony Roden, Chris Roden Sr.'s brother. I would like to thank the citizens of the state of Ohio for bearing this burden that should have never happened to this family in Southern Ohio. A little bit of peace. We still have a long road to go. We'll get there. Because we are family. Where's the party? We're going to go home. <laughs> We're going to go home and enjoy our family. Yep. Yeah. We'll sleep a little easier tonight. Entire family. We're going to go home and enjoy our family. We'll sleep a little easier There's like There's one thing says. that we don't take for granted anymore is we love the ones we got and never let go. Because you never know A reporter asked the Roden family their thoughts on George Wagner. Here's Tony Roden's response. I feel sorry for him. Why is that? Why? Because he is human. How do you find the humanity at a time like this when he did so much to your family? I think we all have human in us. There's just a difference in us. The prosecution also gives a statement to the press and the Roden, Wagner, and Gilly families. Here's Angie Canepa, followed by Rob Junk from the state. You guys have trusted us with your lives and the lives of your loved ones. And I know today's verdict does not bring your loved ones back. I know that. But I do hope that it gives you some semblance of peace that yet another one of the evil monsters that did this to your family has been held accountable. Justice was done. And again, they heard the voices of our eight victims today. The jury listened. They understood. We can never, ever, ever bring them back. But I can tell you that Good Lord willing, George Wagner IV will never be in a position to hurt anyone ever, ever again. Journalists and legal experts who have been following the case for years weigh in on the verdict. And Jeanette Levy. 
I wasn't completely surprised when they came back with guilty verdicts because it was so fast. The way that I read the indictment, if you're guilty of one murder, you've got to be guilty of all of them. You know, it's a conspiracy case and all of these homicides happened on the same night. So if the theory is that all three of the guys were there, Billy, Jake and George, and these homicides were committed and carried out that night, under the law, if he's complicit with the complicity instruction that was given to the jury, then he's guilty of everything, unless there's a compromise. After the guilty verdict, George Wagner is taken back to jail, where he will wait until he is sentenced. Let's stop here for another break. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way. Knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, My name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with the Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. 
Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. December 19th is the day George Wagner is to be sentenced for the murders of the Roden, Manley, and Gilly family members. Even if Judge Randy Daring does stack a minimum possible sentence of 30 years concurrently, Wagner still faces significant time for 16 other charges. Are, are we ready now to proceed with the sentencing hearing itself? Is the state ready? Yes, ma'am. Is the uh, defense ready? Yes. Right. Prosecutor Angie Canepa begins her sentencing remarks. It has been said far and often that this is one of the most serious aggravated murders in the state of Ohio. Not that any murder, of course, comes without pain and horror for those killed and those left behind, but the killing of eight people in such a premeditated fashion for literally no reason and all in one night, I would suggest does make this one of the most serious aggravated murder cases Ohio has seen. Today, I urge the court to focus specifically and mainly on that impact to the families when fashioning a sentence in this case. This is the unjustified, unprovoked, Horrible, senseless killing of eight innocent people. We urge this, the court to impose eight consecutive life without parole sentences regarding the murder of each of these lives, and to impose maximum and consecutive sentences to each of the remaining counts as well. The defendant in his sentencing memorandum begs for mercy. He showed no mercy for the victims who just wanted to live. They have no one to beg for their lives or demand due process. He was judge, jury, and executioner in their lives. He deserves no mercy. In pre-sentence motions, Wagner's lawyers asked for a sentence which would give him the possibility of a parole. The prosecution asked for the maximum possible, life without parole, and for the eight murder counts to be served consecutively. With pre-sentencing motions over, Prosecutor Canepa tells the court that members of the Roden, Manley, and Gilly families are going to deliver their victim impact statements. James Pilcher. A jury of nine women and three men took less than eight hours to find George Wagner IV guilty on all 22 charges for his role in the 2016 Pike County Massacre. Now Wagner must not only face his punishment, but the survivors from the Roden, Gilly, and Manley families. They get their first opportunity to address a Wagner directly about the crimes. Ten family members give statements in person or through victims' advocates. Here's Andrea Shoemaker, mother of Hannah Hazel Gilly. George Wagner IV, let me introduce myself. You see, you said out of your mouth that you never met my daughter, Hannah Hazel Gilly. I'm her mom, Andrea Shoemaker. I stand here today to be her voice since you, George Wagner IV, and your evil family took her, Frankie Rudin. My soon-to-be son-in-law, the young man that gave me my first grandson, the love you have for my beautiful baby girl, Hannah Hazel, as well as your two sons. A heart aches for you, son. My grandson was made an orphan in one night. I see the pain in his eyes. He mourns for a dad! So bad! And it is something he will do for the rest of his life is one his daddy. And Hannah Hazel Gilly, my baby girl, only the age of 20, gone mad. 
who fell in love with a young man, Frankie Roden, the love of Hannah Hazel Gilly's life. Hannah Hazel was the first of my children to give me the blessing of becoming a mammal. Hannah, Hannah Hazel Gilly was a first-time mom to her beautiful son. And what a mommy she was. She loved her son with her whole heart. And for her to only have six months, six months of his life, that is the one thing she wanted to see in her whole young life is to watch him grow up. My baby girl, I miss you beyond words. Another life taken way too soon, but will never be forgotten. Hannah Mae was such an innocent young lady, a great mother to two beautiful girls. I watch your baby girl mourn, mourn to know who her mommy was. I, I answer questions that should have never had to be asked in the first place. My heart is forever broken that she and her sister will never know the mommy. The list of victims gets longer. The eight lives are just the ones no longer on this earth. We are, we as a new family, the Gilly, Manleys, and the Rogans have all suffered. We are all suffering, hurting, always heartbroken, forever without our children. All because the devils like the dark. Devils hunt at night. Just like you, George Wagner IV, and your evil family did on Friday, April the 21st and 22nd of 2016. All I want is my baby girl, Hannah Hazel, and that I will never have. I only agree to the state because I want all these older fam families to get justice on earth while they're still here because of the fact that Gary's dad, Dana's dad, and my dad didn't get their justice while on this earth. And I pray to God that your son learns what kind of a monster you really are and never wants anything to do with you. And I pray, Judge Deary, that you see the true devil that George Wagner the Fourth really is and make him suffer with life in prison. Here's Kendra Roden, daughter of Kenny Roden. As I stand here today, I know I should feel peace. I should have peace because you have been found guilty on all 22 counts. I should feel relief that justice is being served. But there is no real justice, and peace is not a feeling I have. Hannah Mae was my peace, and because of you and your family, she is gone. Eight lives taken and so many more traumatized by the horrendous acts committed by the Wagner family. For months, I was riddled with questions of who and why. I tried to find solace in the belief that most of my family members died instantly from being shot in the head. Unfortunately, that was not true. When signing for my father's lifeless body, the coroner stated my father died within minutes of being shot. <coughs> minutes, not seconds. So now I'm left wondering for how long did he remain conscious? Did he feel the pain? How long was he conscious for, knowing his death was imminent and there was nothing he could do? What went through his mind in those moments that I imagined felt like hours as he died alone? What about Hannah Mae as she lied next to her nursing infant? Did she die in fear, not knowing what would happen to her child? How long did she lie there helplessly, knowing she could do nothing to protect her infant from the evil 
that stormed, from, stormed through her home that night. The questions were accompanied by nightmares night after night. Lack of sleep drove me crazy. I felt I could not escape it. Every time I closed my eyes, I was taken back to the horrific moments. I found out that my family was murdered. I begged for anything to stop the never-ending pain and grief to the point I nearly ended my own life in December of 2017. In 2018, I had my daughter. It should have been a moment filled with nothing but joy. Instead, it was filled with heartache, knowing my father would never hold my daughter. Now, as I plan for my wedding, I dread walking down the aisle because my father will not be walking with me or handing me over as a father should. I won't look over to the bridesmaids and see Hannah May as my maid of honor. I won't see Frankie in the crowd making some sort of commotion to make me laugh and calm my nerves. Christopher won't be there as the life of the party making a scene as his usual goofy self. You see, eight lives were taken in the most brutal of ways, but many more lives were stolen. You took moments that were no more yours to take than the lives you and your family took. I am sorry you never got to know the unconditional love of a mother and father, but it does not excuse your participation in the grim murders your family committed as a whole. My family and I are not asking for your demise, but I do ask that you receive the max penalty. It is not justice, but I believe in my heart it is the closest we can get. Here's Frankie Roden's former girlfriend and mother of their son. My first little statement is actually one that my son had written himself, a victim of the night, who has now since turned 10. Dear George, I find myself wondering why you killed my daddy. There are things that make me sad because I can't learn from him. He could have taught me stuff like working on derby cars and coon hunting. My mommy tried, but it's not as good as daddy was. I have been scared since that night, knowing bad guys came into my house while I was sleeping. I am always scared now that I will lose my mommy. You did that to me. I just want you to know that I hate you and your family. These are the words of a 10-year-old boy. For him to tell me he watched his daddy's hand fall while he tried to wake him up because his baby brother's scream is traumatic itself. But knowing that he has seen stuff hurts my heart so much. The sleepless nights, the panic attacks, and constant worry is so exhausting. You and your family did that. This is his story and I'm just living it. We may have been friends in the past, but for you to get up here on that stand and take an oath and still lie on me, Excuse me, Honor, but I hope you burn in hell, George. I will say there's one thing I have learned, is that God wants us to forgive, and maybe one day I will forgive you. But at this time, I just can't. Thank you, Your Honor. Here's April Manley, Dana Roden's sister-in-law. As I stand here today, I realize I'm standing here for my father-in-law, Leonard. See, Leonard fought a short fight with liver cancer. All he wanted to do was be with his baby girl, Dana Roden, and make sure she was okay. For that reason, he wouldn't fight for his life. Leonard would tell us time and time again that he was sorry for leaving us, but he just couldn't walk this world without Dana any longer. He made me promise that I would see these trials through, that I would be at every court date. So here I stand today at the end of one of them. I don't only stand here for Leonard, but myself as well. You see, James Manley and I will be married 28 years this week. The Rodents are also my family, but in heart as well. I was 
the maid of, uh, maid of honor at Dane on Chris's wedding. I babysit Frankie, Hannah, and little Chris from the time they was born until they was old enough to stay by themselves. Even after they was old enough to look after themselves, I would still see them daily. That's why I referred to them as my babies. Then comes the morning of April 22nd, 2016, where all of our lives changed forever and will never be the same again. Not one, not two, but eight family members were taken away from us. It was like the bottom fell out of my soul. Hundreds of people around me that I felt like I watched this world alone. To this day, my husband starts screaming, sis, in his sleep. It's the only thing he called Dana. My stepson was never afraid of the dark. He is now 15 years old and still won't go outside by himself after dark. He says they came in the dark and took them all away. Before that night, he was never afraid. I hope George Wagner spends the rest of his life in prison without seeing your loved ones for the rest of your life, just like you made sure we wouldn't see ours. I hope you feel the loneliness and the emptiness that we feel for the rest of your life. And I have one last wish, wish for you, George. Since you and your family made sure you were the last ones to see our family alive, I hope every night when you close your eyes, you see them eight faces, and I hope they haunt you for the rest of your life. Lisa, niece to Chris and Kenneth Roden, goes next. Growing up, our parents tell us monsters do not exist. But I had come to know that as a lie in my adult life, there are so many moments that have made an impact on me greatly over the last eight years. Six years, sorry. But a few of those moments are very painful moments that I will forever remember vividly. Going into a funeral home and seeing eight caskets lying along the wall of our loved ones, walking into that room with my family. <sighs> Hearing the screams from my mothers, my aunt and my uncles while trying to hold them up because the legs gave away. Six years and eight months later, we still have these unbearable moments where we feel like we can just break knowing the callous way they were taken from us. We would not only lose her mommy on April 22nd, but she lost all of her immediate family. And then on November the 13th, 2018, she lost her dad's side of her immediate family, regardless of the monsters they are, she still had a bond. The devastation and impact will forever weigh heavy on her for the rest of her life. I've tried to wrap my head around why my family was given death sentences, but nothing will justify the why. My cousin, Hannah Mae, was given a death sentence because she was a strong-willed mother who wanted to raise her daughter and continue to grow her family outside the Wagner's control. My cousin, Gary, Hannah Hazel, Little Chris and my Aunt Nina was given a death sentence for just simply being there. My cousin Frankie 
my uncle Chris and my uncle Kenneth were given the death sentence for being the protectors of our family. No amount of justice given in this court will come close to what is deserved. But this man deserves nothing less than to spend the rest of his life in prison. Tony Roden, brother of Chris Sr. and Kenneth Roden, speaks last by reading a statement from his mother, Geneva Roden. George Wagner, you are still breathing. My two sons are not breathing. My grandchildren are not breathing. They are all children left behind. <clears throat> I'd just like to see some justice. Thank you, John. With all of the impact statements heard, Judge Randy Deering addresses the court. Mr. Wagner, is there any reason that you want to state as to why a uh, sentence should not be pronounced and imposed immediately in this matter? No. Is there anything that you wish to say on your own behalf or any information you wish to provide in mitigation of punishment? No. The judge then prepares to hand down the sentence. First of all, no sentence that the court may impose in this case would right the wrong that has been inflicted upon the victims and their families. Uh, murder is an is a irreversible act. The court does find that uh, these murders uh, do constitute the worst form of the offense. And the court, quite frankly, finds that the defendant has shown no remorse, um, just denial. So the court's considered all of these factors that the court's required uh, to consider and is, and is ready to uh, impose sentence. So, Mr. Wagner, I'll ask you to stand at this point. George Wagner stands. On count one of the indictment for the offense of aggravated murder in violation of section 2903.01a of the revised code, the victim of that offense being Kenneth Roden, the court hereby sentences you to serve a mandatory term of life imprisonment without parole. George Wagner is sentenced to life in prison without parole for all eight aggravated murder charges. Judge Deering then hands down sentences for 14 additional counts. The aggregate of, of this sentence is eight consecutive terms of life imprisonment without parole plus 121 years, 81 years of which are mandatory anything further, if not, then we are adjourned. The final few charges can be served concurrently, but in the end, the full sentence is for eight consecutive life sentences in prison, plus 121 years in prison to be served consecutively. The prosecution agrees with the sentence. We're satisfied with it. The most important thing was getting those eight life without paroles. George Wagner IV will never be in a position to hurt anyone ever again. I'm just happy for our family that they got to see this. They actually got some justice. At this point, George Wagner could file an appeal. Jake Wagner is serving life without parole. Angela Wagner is sentenced to be in prison until she is 80 years old. Billy Wagner is next to go to trial for the murders. And now all eyes are on Billy Wagner, the dad who faces the same charges that George faced. Billy's trial is still expected to happen at some point next year. I mean, this has been such a long, awful uh, road for you all. I, I, I'm sure you're feeling a lot of emotions, but can you give us any sense of what you're feeling just right now? 
a little bit of peace. We still have a long road to go. We'll get there because we are family. Are you yes. hoping that this this now will put pressure on Billy to, to plead guilty? We can only hope. As the season comes to a close, we felt it was important to have one of the Roden family members have the last word. On December 19th, 2022, Chris Sr. and Kenneth's brother, Tony Roden, made a statement in court. His words remind us of the strength, love, and loyalty that encompasses not just the victims, but those they left behind. I lost two brothers, Chris Roden Sr., Kenneth Roden. I also lost a niece, Hannah Roden. Also lost two nephews, Frankie Roden, Chris Roden Jr. I also lost a cousin, Gary Roden. I also lost a sister-in-law, Dana Roden Manley. I also lost my nephew Frankie's fiance, Hannah Hazel Gill. I have so many memories of my brother Chris that I wish I could put them all down on paper. So whoever hears this today could see through my memories how my brother Chris really was. Caring, gracious, loving, family man, and kind. My brother Kenneth, my mom's son, as a young boy, he would always hang out with me and my other brothers. Chris, Stephen, and Brady loved old cars and old trucks, even at a young age. Loved his family, and he always showed it. When he married, he adopted two kids, loved them as his own. My cousin, Gary, my mom's nephew, he would always help people. <clears throat> I would be working with him. We would stop at store to get something to drink. I'd say, Gary, go in and get us something to drink, and he would. But he also bought lottery tickets out of my money. <laughs> Loved his family. His life cut short by selfish acts of others. My sister-in-law, Dana, my mom's daughter-in-law, always spoke her mind. She would come to my house and tell me, what I needed to do at my own house. When she walked in a room with other people in it, she would always have people laughing. She loved people, and it showed. She loved her family, would do anything for them. Her life cut short by selfish acts of others. On November the 13th, 2018, there was an arrest in the murders of my family the same year around Christmas time. My sister Wilma played phone pad back and forth trying to get the authorities to let and spend Christmas dinner at our family. So it happened and all the kids just loved him. And at this Christmas dinner, our mom was handing out presents to her younger grandchildren and her great grandchildren. Pictures were being taken. And then name is called. He walks up to mom, she puts him on her lap. <clears throat> she hands him the present, pictures are taken, she puts him down 
and gives him a hug. I am sitting in the kitchen crying as I watch. There's no relation to our family, but he is the defendant's son. True love, that's what was showed that Christmas dinner. It was embedded by our mom to all of her kids. We all have it in us. Chris taught it to his kids, it showed. Kenneth taught it to his, and it still shows. True love. For more information on the case and relevant photos, follow us on Instagram at KT underscore studios. Now that the Piketon Massacre has come to an end this season, KT Studios invites you to experience our new podcast, Death Island. Just a few miles off the Thailand coast, the island of Koh Tao looks like a postcard. It's almost like if you were going to imagine a paradise island or draw a picture of one, that's what Koh Tao looks like. Young tourists from all over the world visit the pristine beaches and crystal clear water. But underneath the surface lies something sinister. In the last two decades, dozens of tourists have died mysteriously on the island. A dark cloud has come over the island and cast its shadow. Death, mystery, and danger. I'm journalist Connor Powell. Even while making this podcast, another death on the island just happened. One thing is certain. In this beautiful place, no coast is clear. This is Death Island. That's like murdering someone in Times Square and saying there's no witnesses. A production of KT Studios and iHeartRadio. Listen to Death Island every Wednesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Python Massacre is produced by Stephanie Lidecker, Jeff Shane, Chris Kakaro, Andrew Arnau, Gabriel Castillo, and me, Courtney Armstrong. Editing and sound design by Jeff Twa. Music by Jared Aston. The Python Massacre is a production of iHeartRadio and KT Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at, at first, first listen. listen. This season... 
We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.